0: Hey, this is Jackie McMullen, and we've talked about the 76ers many times on this podcast. But did you know our own Ramona Shelburne has written a great piece on Joel Embiid, and you can listen to it on ESPN's Double Truck Podcast. Check it out, and a reminder to subscribe to the Hoop Collective and also the Double Truck Podcasts.
1: Welcome to Double Truck Stories home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. 76ers center Joel Embiid knows you are watching The Process, Philadelphia's year-long plan to build and rebuild from rock-bottom lottery disaster to Eastern Conference powerhouse and possible NBA dynasty. He also knows what you thought when he got that $146.5 million extension, after only playing 31 games in three years. Then, anyone who follows the world of Embiid knows that he took to Twitter, and what he had to say was probably funnier and smarter than anything you could come up with. That's just because that's who he is, the man who drops 46 on the Lakers, but also photoshops his jersey on Rihanna. He's the man who wants you to love him or hate him because it doesn't matter to him which one. Maybe as long as you remember who he is, his work here is done. That's because behind all the confidence of a man who gets compared to Shaq, Hakeem, and Dirk all on the same night is someone who knows how grueling it was to get here and how hard it can be to stay. Through it all, Joel Embiid is a man with patience and trust in himself and the process, and probably in that order. Stick around after the story for my conversation with Ramona Shelburne as we discuss how dancing close to the line is exactly what keeps Joel Embiid coming back for more. Now we present... The Greatest Story Ever Trolled, by Ramona Shelburne.
2: The Greatest Story Ever Trolled. Joel Embiid has turned the Sixers' famed process into performance art, and everyone is feeling merry and bright, for now. By Ramona Shelburne. Joel Embiid has a theory. It's a Game of Thrones theory. He doesn't know anyone with the production team, hasn't read the books the show is based on, and isn't active in Reddit chat rooms with the other crazy fans and GOT theorists. But I've studied the whole show, he says, and it's clear to Embiid that Kit Harington's character Jon Snow will not end up on the Iron Throne. That's what everybody thinks is going to happen, Embiid says, but the whole show has been that you don't know what's going to happen. Jon Snow will not be the king. We've been in a car together for about 30 minutes, driving from San Francisco to Sacramento, where the 76ers' irrepressible young star will meet his teammates for a game the next night. Already, Embiid has made predictions about Game of Thrones, this year's NBA Finals, the Warriors will be ready to go seven games with the Sixers in June, and how his own ride on the fame cycle might turn. People love you at the beginning, Embiid explains, but at some point, they're going to start hating you, LeBron, Russell Westbrook. All the superstars. Even Steph. He's so likable. He does nothing wrong. But some people still hate him. It just comes with the nature of it. I've seen it. I feel like I'm about to go through it. I think it's coming. People always want something new. To be clear, no one appears anywhere close to turning on Embiid. After four years of former general manager Sam Hinkie's YOLO tanking in pursuit of future greatness, the Sixers have come to life in the first part of this NBA season, with Embiid as their trash-talking, dream-shaking leader. Social media adores his blend of right-up-to-the-line trolling and self-deprecating humor. NBA coaches and veterans marvel at his unique skill set, low-post dominance like Shaquille O'Neal, footwork like Hakeem Olajuwon, a shooting touch like Dirk Nowitzki. He's a problem, Lakers coach Luke Walton said on November 15th, after Embiid torched his team for 46 points, 15 rebounds, 7 assists, and 7 blocks. Even the hardened, cynical fans in Philadelphia seem smitten with Embiid. The process, the nickname Embiid gave himself last year as an homage to the Hinkie era, has become a civic rallying cry. It can be heard at road games in Boston and Washington, D.C., A viral video featured a Lyft driver who shouted it as he followed Embiid on a Rocky Balboa-style run through the streets of Philadelphia one night. Embiid loves it. When Sixers fans chant it as he shoots free throws, he'll wave his arms, imploring them to chant louder. It's like Happy Gilmore out there, former teammate Nick Stauskas says. Most people like the place to be quiet when they're shooting. Joe's like, come on, man, make some noise. And if they don't, he's not happy about it. Oh, he eggs the crowd on. Sixers swingman Robert Covington says. He loves it. All in all, it's clear that Philly, not to mention NBA Twitter, is still firmly in the honeymoon phase with its young star. So why does he think the world might be about to turn on him? Is that what he's afraid of? Or what he wants? To understand Embiid, you must first understand the psychology of the troll. As anyone who has ever checked his Twitter mentions knows, there are all sorts of trolls. Mean ones, funny ones, bullies, racists, pranksters... They all have the same goal, to get a reaction. Embiid is a playful troll. I don't go over the line, but I feel like I'm always right there, he says with a grin. Of course, he is aware it makes people within the organization crazy that their budding superstar keeps giving shout-outs to the deposed general manager who led the franchise to one of the worst stretches in NBA history. That's kind of the point. I won't mention names, but a lot of people weren't happy with his callouts. outs Embiid says. I don't care. To me, it was like, we've gone through so much, and I get that Sam Henke wasn't the most loved in Philly, but that was the guy who drafted me. I still like him. He did a lot for me. So he calls himself The Process, over and over, mischievously diffusing its bite with humor and hashtags, but still cutting right up close to the quick. I'm not doing it to hurt anybody's feelings or create a situation, Embiid says. I just think it's funny. This is the essence of Embiid, always flexing, kidding but not kidding, trolling on social media, trash-talking on the court, playfully tweaking people to see what they'll do about it. But Embiid is pushing himself as much as he's pushing buttons. I love that stuff. That gets me going, he says. That makes me want to score and block a shot and dive on the floor. That makes me want to make a great play. I hate it when we go on the road and other teams don't really have fans who cheer. I feel like it makes me sleepy. I want to get into the fans. I want to hear their voices and hear people talking S and hear people get into the game crazy and chanting, ref sucks, or trust the process, or Joel, you suck. So, he likes the pressure it puts on him? I love the pressure. This fall, the Sixers gave Embiid a five-year, $146.5 million contract extension after seeing him play just 31 games in his first three seasons. They saw enough talent, star power, and character to believe he can be the face of their franchise for a long time. But Embiid has felt like the star of this team for far longer than he's been paid like one. Back in May 2015, Embiid spent the better part of a week destroying people in three-on-three games at the 76ers' practice facility. Young players, veterans, the wayward coach who jumped into one of the games to get a closer look, nobody could stop Embiid, including Nerland's Noel whom the Sixers had picked sixth overall in 2013 and had high hopes for. I played against him, Embiid says, and actually, I killed it. After sitting out his entire rookie season with a foot injury in 2014-15, and Embiid was finally back on the court, and he looked like some mythological creature sent to destroy opponents and resurrect a basketball franchise. It didn't take long for word to reach Henke, who was off scouting in California. Hingey texted Covington, wanting to make sure this was real and not just sycophants trying to make him feel better about using a lottery pick on an injured big man. Embiid literally almost ran all our bigs out of the gym, Covington says. It was the first time I'd seen him, and for him to dominate like that, it was like, well, damn. A few weeks later, Embiid started playing against veterans at pickup games in Los Angeles. It was a joke how good he was, veteran NBA guard Jamal Crawford says. I saw then that the league had nothing for him. Less than a week later, an MRI revealed that the bone in Embiid's foot wasn't healing properly. Today, the foot, knee, and back injuries that derailed Embiid's first three seasons are as much a part of his story as his incredible journey from Cameroon to NBA stardom. His health is the giant blinking asterisk affixed to every prediction about his destiny and the great expectations for the Sixers' future. He was the first rookie to average at least 28.7 points per 36 minutes played since Will Chamberlain. With Embiid and rookie point guard Ben Simmons on the court, the Sixers, through December 6th, had outscored teams by 8.5 points per 100 possessions, a net rating behind only the Warriors and Rockets. Embiid's health hangs over all of these dreams. He and the team are proactive. Embiid has gone to Aspatar, a state-of-the-art sports medicine facility in Qatar, where experts study everything from his sleep patterns to his gait, trying to build his body in the most sustainable way possible. During interviews at his locker, a world-renowned physiotherapist digs into the quadriceps muscle above his knee. He used to love rich, buttery French food, but gave up dairy because it causes too much inflammation. He sits out the second night of back-to-backs on orders from the front office. Embiid stopped trying to fight these modifications a long time ago. His protests about sitting out feel more spiritual than philosophical. I'm not okay with it, he says, but it's best for the future. They know that once I'm on the court, if you let me stay on the court, I'm going to lead. Embiid was a teenager in Cameroon when he first saw Kobe Bryant in all his swaggering, gunslinging glory during the 2009 NBA Finals. Embiid didn't speak English and had never played organized basketball, yet he knew he wanted to be like Kobe someday. I just liked his mentality, the way he was playing. He just didn't care, Embiid says. I think I needed to figure out a way to be like that more. In another life, or another body, Embiid would probably be out running sand dunes like Bryant did at 4am as a way of channeling the restless id inside him, but Embiid's body would never tolerate that, so the competitiveness manifests itself elsewhere. It's why he trash talks and taunts on the court right up to the line where someone might swing at him. Why he plays video games deep into the night, even bringing his PlayStation on road trips. I just love winning, he says. When I play, I rarely lose, so it makes me feel good about myself. And I keep winning, winning, winning. I played PlayStation with him once and said I'll never do it again, Sixers guard T.J. McConnell says. He talks the most crap ever. I wanted to throw the controller out of his apartment building. Embiid says he's reached out to Bryant on several occasions, drawn to Kobe's supreme confidence. How do you shoot 30-plus times in a game and never feel even the smallest twinge of guilt about it? After 15 to 20 shots, I feel like my teammates might be looking at me, Embiid says. I don't want that to be on me, but I feel like sometimes I need to. Bryant didn't take all those shots because he had no conscience. He took them, Embiid says, because he knew he could make them. He was always working on his shot, so that's why he felt like he could. When everyone else was partying, he was working on his shot. I have to get a little of that. So Embiid doesn't drink alcohol or spend much time at parties. He studies classic NBA games like their textbooks. He watches his contemporaries like Karl-Anthony Towns, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kristaps Porzingis, Anthony Davis, and Nikola Jokic, knowing he'll likely do battle with them in the playoffs someday. He studies his own team and thinks there is still room to grow. Simmons' game is limited by his lack of outside shooting, which collapses the space Embiid has to work inside. There will also be an adjustment period when rookie point guard Markel Fultz returns from a shoulder injury and tries to find his place in the offense. We're still working on our chemistry, especially with me and Ben on the court, Embiid says. I think with everything, the main thing we have to do is just stay together, because I feel like there's going to be some type of situation where people say who is better between us three, and that's how it splits." It is now Embiid's job to ensure that it doesn't. That's part of accepting the $146.5 million contract and wanting to be the face of the franchise. You have a responsibility to lead it. In many ways, the 23-year-old is a natural-born leader. His infectious personality is like a gravitational force. Teammates flock to him after games and on off days. But if Embiid is the sun at the center of the Sixers solar system, Simmons is the moon. The young Australian mostly keeps to himself— and has a natural quietness to him. Night and day, Sixers wing Justin Anderson says of his teammates' personalities. For Embiid to take this team to its full potential, he has to do it with Simmons, which means they need to foster a relationship that has, at times, been distant. They have a role to play in each other's success, Coach Brett Brown says. What interests me more than going out to dinner or being together off the court all the time is respect on the court. And the respect is generated because you look at somebody and know they care, know they work, know the team is in their best interest. Brown spent 12 years working under Greg Popovich in San Antonio, and he says it took years for Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, and Tony Parker, the score of the Spurs dynasty, to find out how to play and win together. Popovich was always the strongest voice in the room. Duncan led by example. Parker was the beating heart. Ginobili was the conscience. Brown says he used to get emails from Duncan at all hours of the night, musing on how to address an issue the team needed to work on. Everybody's got their own way to deliver a message, Brown says. To try to force a style of leadership on anybody is not what I'm interested in. Of course, Embiid's style of leadership isn't always the most politically correct. Having your teammates' backs, that's what I feel being a leader is, Embiid says. This year, that's meant Brown and the Sixers have to bite their tongues when Embiid criticizes the way they've handled situations with Fultz, whose mysterious shoulder injury has kept him from any meaningful action, and former lottery pick Jahlil Okafor, who was finally traded to the Nets on December 7th, more than a month after requesting to leave. The whole thing with Markel is messed up, Embiid says. It should not have happened. Obviously, it has something to do with his shoulder. I saw that they said it wasn't the shoulder, but I don't believe it. With Jalil, I really appreciate that he didn't want to cause a scene, he says. If it was me, I feel like I would have lost it. I don't know if I could have handled it. Embiid makes headlines and ruffles feathers when he talks like this, same as he did when he co-opted The Process as his nickname. Teammates mostly are amused by it. He loves to poke the bear. He thrives on it, Stauskas says. I've never really seen anything like it. It's different, but it works. In the end, trusting The Process really means trusting Embiid. We encourage him to explore and be a little bit unfiltered, Brown says with a smile. That's how he lives, and that's how he plays. Embiid has done so much in his young career. Through 50 games, he scored more points than Olajuwon, grabbed more rebounds than Patrick Ewing, had more assists and three-pointers than Olajuwon, Ewing, O'Neal, Dwight Howard, and David Robinson, that it's easy to forget how quickly this has all happened. Seven years ago, the man didn't speak English let alone play basketball. And now he's wickedly funny in another language and one of the most skilled big men in the sport. He jokes that he learned English by listening to rap music and how to shoot by watching videos of white people. But clearly there's more to it. I look like I'm not listening, but I'm actually listening, Embiid explains. I like listening to everything, observing everybody, just taking everything in and then, in my mind, figuring out what's good for me and what's bad for me. So far, he's figured it out pretty well. For every testy Twitter exchange that goes right up to the line, Embiid does ten more playful, irreverent things that seem solely motivated by a boyish sense of adventure. He's out shagging fly balls during the home run derby at the MLB All-Star Game. He's at the World Series tweeting Let's Go Astros while wearing a Dodgers jersey. He's playing tennis on a public court at night with strangers who challenge him to a game. On the one hand, Embiid is an anthropologist, using what is obviously a brilliant mind to study our culture with fresh eyes. On the other, he's Tom Hanks in the movie Big, testing out games meant for children while in the body of a man. Before the NBA draft, his first agent, Arne Tellem, hired a social media coach for Embiid. At first, Embiid followed his instructions to post unassuming sports-focused updates. But unfortunately, I got hurt, and I didn't have anything to do, Embiid says. I found social media was a way for me to open up and show the world who I was, and also keep my name out there. Pretty soon, he was asking Rihanna out on a date and recruiting LeBron James via Twitter. On social media, I can hide behind the computer or the iPhone, Embiid says. Internet courage. There's the playful troll again, the kidding, not kidding wink that masks why Embiid likes to play so close to the fire. He doesn't want to get burned. He just needs to feel the heat. All this trolling, this button pushing, it's just a warm-up. His way of summoning the greatness to back it up.
1: That was a fantastic piece. Now we have with us, straight from Los Angeles, the incomparable Ramona Shelburne. Ramona, welcome. Hey, guys. How are you? Fantastic. So, Joel Embiid, uh, such an interesting, an interesting per, uh, athlete in the 21st century, but with all the confidence that you kind of see from his either self-deprecating or trolling people, uh, do you think some of it is like bravado?
0: Oh yeah, and he flat out says "internet courage," right? I mean, he flat out he flat out says, "I'm kind of shy in real life." He's like, especially around girls, because you know. And I think a lot of that is um, a lot of that is you know, he, that's that's his real persona. Is that when you're around him, he's kind of chill. He's not he's not loud. He's not in your face. You know, a lot of a lot of trash talkers like Draymond Green is is loud. Draymond Green puts it out there every day on the court. He says what he thinks. Like. You know, Joel Embiid comes to life when he's on the court. He comes to life when he's behind a keyboard and and on Twitter and Instagram. But in day to day life, if you just saw him walking down the street, if you were like hanging out with him at his house, he's pretty shy. He's kind of subdued, and I think it's it's that's kind of why he does it. Though I mean, I think you know when I spent time with him when I when we got into this, and you get into the psychology of the troll. I mean, part of why you would you become this or why why this is your persona is that he, he, you know, he comes alive. It it gets him going. It's like energy and oxygen for a fire. Right. And I think he kind of needs it in order to be what he feels is the best version of himself.
1: Now it sounds like, you know, we all know his history with the injuries and how little he was able to play. (laughs) So it sounds, the feeling I got from the piece was that without saying it out loud, he sort of feels like he fears, Irrelevance relevance more than anything else, meaning, like, I don't really care. I'd rather be maybe a little disliked than actually be thought of as invisible.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, he, one of my, I went into the story, like, you have, you always do things where you read everything, and you do a little, you know, pre-research before you go to story. And one of the things that I I, a, I thought was a really big deal, and it's in the piece, but I, I didn't dwell on it as much, but it's, uh, you know, when he when he's a rookie, he had a social media coach. Like his agent art tell him hired a social media coach, and the guy told and i and I remember going to i ask, asking joel about it and he said yeah he 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 told me basically just you know post a regular stuff and, and don't say anything controversial and don't don't say too much, don't post too much you know and and I go, that lasts a long time, huh <laughs> he says, yeah, well, unfortunately, I got hurt, and social media became like my connection to the world, like social media became the way i to put myself out there where people would get to know me and I could feel who I was and how I could connect. And, you know, I think because he was hurt, his only way of showing himself and, and, and being in the world was through the internet, through, through Twitter, through Instagram, because he wasn't able to play. He wasn't able to show you what kind of player he was. He wasn't able to be in media interviews. He wasn't able to be around the team. Like it, it's, it was almost, you know, a, like a downshift, right? Like this is this is what he became because he couldn't play. Um, now he still had that humor and that sense of connection before he had the social media coach. If you go back to his days at Kansas, he, he posts some funny things you know, on Twitter and Instagram yes. and stuff too. So it's that's always been his instinct. But in terms of asking out Rihanna and, and, and trying to recruit LeBron on on social media and you know and poking the bear the way he does, like that all came because he was injured.
1: Now, you hear about from, like, on uh, on the court or on the field with different sports, you have, mm-hmm. you know, right player, wrong system, but how important is it, the atmosphere of being part of the process and uh, Coach Brown, like, how important is that to, like, what is being, not just his dominance on the court, but his successful almost persona that he's almost has, like, a freedom to do what he wants?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's he's the guy. Right. You know, we we always have those questions in sports, about whose team is it? You know, is it, is it Kobe's team? Is it Shaq's team? Right. You know, we, and sometimes those things feel important um, in Philly. There's not even a question. I like, mm-hmm. they have a lot of talent, but it's, it's Joel Embiid's team. Like he's the guy. And I think he not only likes it, but I think he needs that pressure. I think he, he likes to embody that he likes to he wants to be the face of all of this he wants to be the face of the franchise and everything that comes with it um and it's it it is again part of the psychology of the troll like this is like you know you're at your best in a way when the most pressure is on you like i mean i you know i can relate to it as a writer like mm-hmm you know, I do my best work when the stories really do and I have to really focus in, right? Right. Like, oh, my God, it's due in two hours. And I just walk in and just crank, and that's when the best stuff usually comes out because you need that deadline pressure. I think you just described every
1: person that ever went to college ever.
0: Right? I mean, (laughs) like, you know, I always say to writers, like, you know, how long does it take you to write? And I'm like, well, how long do you have? (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't, it doesn't, there's no set answer. The answer is whatever the deadline is, is how long it will take. Um, Because I don't, I don't lock in usually until I need it. Now, that's how I'm wired. I know there's other, there's other writers who, you know, I was talking to Lee Jenkins the other day and I just like lost my mind because he's like, oh yeah, I just write, you know, a thousand words one day, a thousand words another day, and a thousand words a third day. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) <laughs> who, who, nice and orderly like that like you go to the office and do that you don't just like stay up all night and cram <laughs> it's like there's there's people i mean you know tim kuhn once told me that he he writes the lead last like he writes the story and then he goes back and writes the lead and i was like oh how does your brain work like that yeah, like I, I couldn't do that it takes me three days to write a lead <laughs> <laughs> and then i and then the rest of the story is like i'm you know then then i'm fine but everybody is wired differently and everybody works differently. But I think Joel is this kind of guy, like, you know, there's, there's certain players that are like almost obsessively, you know, they're almost OCD, like with their routines and they have to have it a certain way and it's orderly. Joel's not like that. He is the guy that like, you know, if there, if you're not yelling at him, if you're not, you know, cheering for him, if you're not, if he's not engaged like that, he doesn't really feel alive. Like, and he doesn't really come to life. And I think, what I what I finally realized spending all that time with him, being around like it's easy to write a story about him dealing with injuries, okay? Because I, but I I didn't want to write that because I felt like you know one that ground has been covered and two that's just sort of that is that is the obstacle he's had to deal with, but that is not at the core of what he is trying to become. Like that is, you know, if you, I'm a big Joseph Campbell person, right. Mm -hmm. On the hero's journey. Right. And you, you look at it. There was, and I think this story is, is it follows the, the very classic tale of, you know, if you're sitting in Cameroon in 2009, 2010, watching Kobe Bryant play against the Orlando magic in the finals, and he sees Kobe take 30 shots and not feel guilty about it one bit. And he sees that mentality of that player who sort of has that supreme confidence in himself that everything he's doing is not only the right thing, but he, but the, what's best for the team and gives the best, you know, like he, like Kobe really believes it's best for the team when I shoot 35 times sometimes. If that's how the game goes, I'm going to do it. And there's a lot of players who would say, like, I can't just shoot 35 times. My teammates will kill me, right? My teammates right. will, like, be looking at me askance, right? And Kobe's mentality was always, well, well I, I think I'm the best option at all times because I work the hardest and I practice this and, I, you know, I get up at 4 in the morning and I have this sort of, be- like, unwavering belief in my own exceptionalism. And I think Joel saw that and said, I don't know how to play basketball. I don't even speak English. I don't even, I don't know how I'm going to be that, but I, I want to be like that someday. That's that's the person I need to be. And he decides, I'm going to go to America. I want to play basketball. And his dad, of course, says, you know, I don't want you to play basketball. I'll stick with soccer or volleyball. It's not so physical. And, and eventually Joel sort of wears him down and lets him, and you know, lets him, Gets himself in in Luke and Luke Bamute's game, um, who Luke's been incredible for basketball players in Africa, especially Cameroon, and um, he gets on the court and like even though he's totally raw and doesn't know what he's doing, you can see this incredible natural ability, and he gets he goes to high school over in the states doesn't even speak English to the point. I mean, they used to call him the big quiet it's funny <laughs> and, and it's like in his, in retrospect, but uh, you know, learns English, learns basketball. He has this incredible aptitude for learning. Like, his, uh, you know, his co Brett Brown and some other folks I talked to for this, that, you know, it's, he's, he's kind of, a, he, he sees a play and the next day he can do it. Like he just, he doesn't, he has that, that mind for learning. Like mm-hmm. you don't, you know, most players you have to show it to him seven times. Like, Joel can watch Hakeem Lajwan do a move and the next day he can walk out on the court and do it. And that's not something you see every day. So anyway, he, you know, at least in my mind on the hero's journey or whatever this is, and you want to describe it that way. He's, he's, you know, he, he's been trying to be that guy. He saw Kobe be all those years ago. He's been trying to be that guy um, this whole time. He's still trying to be that guy. There's all this trolling, all this putting that out there, the trash talk to this, that's just him needing to feel the fire, needing to feel the right. heat in order to
1: become that. And I, and yes, like he does like to, and as you pointed out, he likes to sort of put the weight of the world on his shoulders, but mm-hmm. also part of that is he seems to also want to take the weight of others. And by that yeah. loyalty is a big thing, which is there weren't many people in Philadelphia that had any loyalty <laughs> to Sam Hinkey after a certain point, Yeah, but yeah, Joel Embiid certainly did. And, like, do you see that now? Not just with what we've seen him do for Hinky, but like, is Brett Brown his guy too? Like, his like are his guys his guys, or is he? Does he understand part of the process is also the business?
0: That's right, and I think this is the big question going forward. Is Joel is incredibly talented he has he has he has whatever you want it to be you know whatever you want the franchise player to be he has he has all of that he has the game the persona the star power the character the question is can he bring this team to that to the its best level can he be the guy to lead it and you know we we have the the Brett Brown comes from the Spurs spurs tree right so mm-hmm. everything we talk about and everybody in the nba talks about this we're trying to create a culture like the spurs well if it was that easy it would have been replicated again okay and i think the, only, the closest thing we've seen to the spurs is probably the warriors right and because steph curry has that sort of tim duncan type leadership ability to sort of you know lead by example and and he's willing to it's he doesn't care whose team it is right kevin durant can come join my team how many two-time mvps allow that how many two-time mvps even entertain that
1: Right. Um, yeah. It it, defi- you know, it definitely helps like to have an iconic player. Like, for example, the Patriot yeah. way definitely helps to have Tom Brady behind it. We'll see how well there is that no is Patriot way with
0: without Tom Brady. Right? right. I mean, there is no like. And so I think that whatever's going on in Philly, whatever we we're going to end up calling this, whatever they're going to end up being, it will it it comes down to what Joel Embiid can do as a leader and not just based on talent and star power. He's got to bring this team together and. You know, I think Brett Brown and I had a lot of talks about this. You know, I spent some time on the road with him in L.A. and I went to Philly. You know, I I, like I I love the scene of him. You know, He he runs every day. He's a he's one of those guys. He's 45 Mm -hmm. minutes a day, six days a week. And when they were losing, he said, you know, it was was really essential for him to get out on the road and run. And It's like, you know, losing fatigues you and you got to fight it. And those runs that used to be, you know, when I go for a run, I put on a podcast or I listen I watch TV and on my YouTube videos or something. I have, you know, music. It's sort of an escapist time for me. Sure. For Brett Brown, it's it's actually how he, it's his time to think. And it's time to, you know, sometimes he'll call people. Sometimes he, you know, he just, he just alone with his thoughts. He doesn't mm-hmm. really listen to music. And I, I feel like every second of his life, especially on those runs, is thinking about how he grows Joel and Ben and Markel together. How do you bring these guys together like pop and pop did that with timmy and manu and and tony and this is his big challenge with these three and you know he he and joel are tight you know i mean they're they've they've been through all this together right Mm -hmm. and i think there's a i think there's a bond of having gone through this and sort of knowing where they came from and where they've where they've gotten to um clearly joel has a bond with hinky i know they're still in touch they text each other here and there um and and I, I flat out asked him, I'm like, you know, how did it sit when you started calling yourself the process, right? I mean, these are people in Philadelphia who are trying to turn the page, right? Like, you know, whatever you want to say about Henke, it, it was the worst four-year stretch in NBA history you know, right. for any team. And it was painful to go through. And it's not just that they were losing. There were things that, um, you know, Jerry Colangelo came in there and was sort of tasked with figuring out what to do about it. But no, they they didn't have veteran leadership. They didn't have the sort of emotional support system that young players may need Mm -hmm. to, to develop. And there's a lot of, there were a lot of holes in this whole idea of the process. I mean, I mean, other than, other than just basically, you know, YOLO tanking, right. That (laughs) That was the best way I could find to describe it. It was, you know what what really was the process other than just getting as many assets and young players as you possibly could at that point that that was the beginning of it, but you needed a whole support system and network around it um you know i i there's a lot of there's a plenty of debate of, of where, whether or not you know hinky was ever going to be capable of doing that I mean he was capable of collecting all the assets, but was he going to be able to grow it um well He doesn't. We only get to find out because he resigned, was fired, whatever you want. You know, however we we, the history will term that. Um, But I think you know, Joel. Joel understood the vision, and he's smart enough to understand the the brilliance behind it. The 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 commitment it took to do that, to take those that losing on the chin, and. He he bonded with Hinky in the sense that you know I think he I think he likes bonding with the you know it's a little rebellious right, right. throw it out there like that it's a little it's a little bit of a flex and it's 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 a, a, a in a way it's a troll right it, it, almost, seems like
1: it almost seems like he's <laughs> taking like almost extrapolating like the fundamentals of his social media coach and turning that little almost like grammar school equivalent and making it into a doctorate course of. Like they can't, they can't laugh at you if you laughed at yourself first.
0: That's right. That's right. And you go on his social media and it's filled with, the other day he put it, you know, not the other day, but like this summer he put something up there about how he, he got a haircut and he said, no, I look like I'm 12, you know, or he, he, he makes fun of himself all the time. And that's, that's the part you can't teach. Like, that's the part that, you know, like all great comics, I was thinking about this and I'm so glad I get to say this on the, on the podcast because it's one of those, you know, one of those lines where you get to, you have to kill your darlings in the edit process. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, one of the, one of the lines I had, and I, I really, I, I thought about this a lot when i was thinking about him, I was like, you know, most great comics, they, they operate from this place of insecurity, right? There's this Absolutely. sort of hole in their heart that they, they, they sort of joke and they make fun of themselves. And I, um, I think with him, I don't think it's insecurity. I think a lot of it is that, what he wants to say out loud is that I want to be the face of this and I want to be the best player in the NBA and I want to be Kobe and I want to, and his humor sort of disguises that mm-hmm. his humor is a way of not saying what could be impolite, what could be sort of, you know, perceived as arrogant sure. by, by people because he hasn't done enough to back that up. Right. He hasn't he's played 50 right. something games in the NBA. Yeah. Um, and he still and, can't
1: play. And he's still not allowed, cleared to play back to backs.
0: Yeah, and and like I think he knows, and I think humor is sort of a way of of taking the edge off things, of diffusing it. You know, you make fun of yourself, and so if you can't laugh at yourself, you know, then you know it's not, but like you shouldn't you shouldn't joke. And I think it's, I really think his his comedy, his humor, his trolling, it's all coming from the same place: is that there's something that you want to say out loud, but for whatever reason you can't say it straight, so you have to make a joke of it. Right, like it's the humble brag, it's the so, whatever you want. like. That's what it feels like to me because I'm, I'm telling you, this this dude, this dude wants to be the guy.
1: I know, like you're saying, he wants to be the. Like he's preparing himself for that, and I know you mentioned during the piece about how with Coach Brown and how he talks about um, issues that he can't fast forward the world. So he talks about what is coming up that I can deal with before it happens. Now, mm-hmm. while Joel and Bede can't see the future and he's and as we've said he's fueled by walking that line of sort of calling himself out so he has to live up to it like is mm-hmm. he prepared for any outcome i mean or is he just prepared for the one that ends with him photoshopping a big process accomplished photo on an aircraft carrier
0: <laughs> yeah and i think that's that's the big thing because like when you're there you know he has this infectious magnetic personality right so he has you know, when he walks around Philly, everybody gravitates towards him. Teammates, you know, flock to him because he's fun. And, he's, you know, everybody's over at his house playing video games whatever whatever. Um, you know, he's got his guys. Like, he's really good friends with this guy named Justin Anderson. Um, he's really, you know, he and Markel Fultz have gotten very close in Mar- Markel's first rookie year. Um, mm-hmm. He's close with Robert Covington. Uh but and and some of that is you know he's a fun guy and they like they have shared interests they don't they're those are all guys that are not you know let's let's go out and party they they like to stay home and play video games and board games and they you know, goof around that's that's their their thing but leadership is a lot more than than being the funniest guy in the room or having a magnetic personality right leadership right. is bringing people together who may not necessarily flock to you but right? also it's finding a
1: yeah. way to yeah no yeah, but, but also I guess the big elephant in the room is like, yeah. what happens if he gets hurt again? Like, can he still, I know his dominance wouldn't be on the court, but what can he, can he still bring what he needs to bring to the table to keep them relevant? And I'm sorry. Yeah,
0: that's right. I mean, you see it when I, I went to one of the games where he didn't play, it was in Utah. And it's just like not the same team. They don't have any life. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, Ben Simmons is an incredible player. Like he's, I mean, I, you know, it is it, the LeBron comparison. I, I, I do I do agree with that LeBron comparison in terms of their game, like six nine guy who can drive to the hoop and mm-hmm. get a shot anytime he wants, really smooth, but. You know, I also have a tremendous amount of respect for LeBron, and so comparing a rookie to him, and especially a rookie who will probably switch from shooting left-handed to right-handed this off-season, <laughs> right? Like he's gonna, like he still doesn't know what hand to shoot with. Like he hasn't. So he's so far away from being the complete player that he will one day be. Right. It's not fair to him or LeBron to even put them in the same sentence yet. And and yet I see the I see the comparison if he can become that. Okay, right. so. You know, look, as great as Ben Simmons is, this is Joel Embiid's team. I think Ben would even agree with that. Um, it's almost better think, off for Ben Simmons you know, for it
1: to be that way, because then, Well, yeah. Joel I mean, probably wants the pressure, maybe, you know, it's probably best no, for Ben No, it's not doesn't Ben's
0: personality it. at all. I mean, Ben's a very, Ben's a quiet guy He's to himself. He's not... You know he's kind of headphones on keeps to himself goes home and hangs out with his family and he's got a lot of pets you know he read stories like mm-hmm. he's not he's not that kind of a guy which is probably good to have one alpha and one you know uh, let's say is it alpha omega i don't know is it yin yang or whatever you want to, whatever mm-hmm. metaphor you want to say sun and moon right. i think is the, the um have different energies but we also don't know how markel fultz is going to fit in here he has a he's also a point guard number one overall draft pick and How is, how is his game going to fit with Ben? He plays the same position. Like we don't, we don't know how any of this is going to work out, but I'll tell you this. They're not the same team when Joel Embiid is not playing when he's not out there. It's like, they're fine. They're a good team. Ben Simmons can be a good player for them, but they're not the team that you look at and say, Oh, that team can win a championship. They need all three of them. Well, they at least need two of them. Right. And and they need them all but they they none of this exists without Joel Embiid being the player that he seems he, he already is and then seems destined to become. And I think Joel knows that I think everyone in the organization knows it. The question is, can he become a leader? Can he evolve his game? Can he evolve his 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 leadership abilities to beyond being the guy that everyone gravitates towards? Can he, you know, that's not that's not just leadership, that's being popular. Right. And you know, and I think uh, you know, Brett Brown sees that. Joel sees that. Uh, J- veterans like J.J. Redick will see that. Like, we talk about, it, I mean, this is still a really young team.
1: Yes, um, exactly. And,
0: you know, there's a plenty of guys who have plenty of teams of possibilities, plenty of teams of potential. Not all of them win.
1: Exactly. That's exactly my next question was going to be, is we talk about trust the process, the process. Where are we in the process? Like, how many more... How much more patience yeah. can you have in the process? Because it gets to a point where, like, let's say JJ Reddick does fit in really well, but how long is JJ Reddick around before everyone before Marquel comes back healthy, before Ben develops his game, before uh, the grinds of a lengthy playoff run are not a big yeah. deal for Joel Embiid? Because of all his health concerns, like as you mentioned in the piece about how he goes all the way to to Qatar to Qatar. have his his body reviewed and looked at. I mean, there's. Just like you said, there have been teams for years where they've tried to team either superstars or young players, and that and it just doesn't happen. It just goes. To, it shows. It shows actually how difficult it is to put everything together. But where do you yeah. see us? Where do you see them in the process right now, as well, they, so to speak?
0: They all believe that they're going to make the playoffs this year. Okay, mm-hmm. Brett Brown put that out there in the beginning. It was something that some people were like whoa that's a little soon and Brett was like no we have the guys we should make the playoffs. we should put that out there and it wasn't just Brett saying that like i, I really think the guys on the team would have been upset with him if he didn't cuz they they believe that so i think this is the year that they got to make the play this is what that needs to happen this year and and that's a big jump right cuz they've been you know sort of one of the bottom five teams in the league for this
1: whole experiment and that's a great time. yeah and that's a huge visual for us to sit there while we're waiting for a break in May and we watch the NBA draft lottery to not see the 76ers up there.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's huge. And I, and I really believe that that that's a, that's a goal they need to hit this year. And, and I've seen enough of them. Like when you see them and they're great, you're like, Oh, they should absolutely make playoffs. They should, they could win in the playoffs. Um, I don't know if they can win a title this year, but I think they can, I think they could win a playoff series this year. I think they're good enough depending on what the matchup is. But it's it's uh that's 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 goal one and then you find out what you you find out what you have when you get to the playoffs right like there's they're very revealing you know we, we I always always say this on um you know when you talk about radio hosts or people you know you can't hide like whoever you are is really going to come out if you do a three-hour show and you talk like whatever you are whatever you think you your real personality it's <laughs> coming it, it, right. it, it is it, it reveals right and I, I feel the same way about the playoffs like it's in a seven game series, like who, who you are as a team, as players, as individuals, it is revealed. Mm-hmm. It's it sort of, and and we don't really know what the Sixes are. They don't know what they are until they get to that stage. And I think that's the next level of evolution. And, you know, Brett Brown had this great quote, another one that I guess didn't make the piece, but um, you know, cause we had a long extended discussion about it. He goes, I know what it takes to play into June. Um, it's really, really hard. And, and then you know, later we, we we talk and he goes, you know, I, I realize like, uh, you know, it's it's a whole other season. The playoffs are another season. Yeah, they're a whole another experiment. And there's, I mean, NBA history is littered with teams that had tons of talent but never did anything in the playoffs. I mean, you know, I, I, let's let's go back to you know, we we talk about the process like it was some big grand experiment and somebody put a name on it. I, you know, there's a lot of debate about who who really named it that, but. It was all in hinky-speak, and then somebody coined a term, and I think Pablo Torre wrote a story where Tony Rotan called it the process, and then everybody picked up on it and started putting it on T-shirts, and now, it's, and now Joel Embiid is like the celebrity endorser, right? Right. Um, but, but, you know, you, you call it that, but, like, there's been plenty of teams throughout NBA history who have done something like that. I mean, I grew up in L.A. Mm-hmm. But what did the Clippers do for decades? They were tanking for decades, and they got plenty of young players, top five picks, year in and year out. It didn't turn into anything. No, I mean, there's great players that came through those. Those right now, the Hawks are doing that. Right now, I mean, there's 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 the you know the Bulls are doing that. Like, it doesn't mean you're going to win. Everybody looked at Oklahoma City and said, "Okay, I want to do that. We want to draft three players, and then we have to go. You know, and then they're all going to go together, and we'll be in the finals in five years." Yeah, great. Let's let's see. I mean, it kind of depends on which three players. And there's a, a to me what the process is is it was. Tanking for long enough and with such determination that you could make mistakes, right? right? Like, you know, Jaleel Okafor is, hasn't played. Nerlens Noel, Michael Carter Williams—these were all guys that were lottery lottery picks, right? They, they, mm-hmm. they haven't turned in anything. The two guys they hit on so far have been Embiid and Simmons, but they, you know, may, maybe the best beneficiaries of the process were guys like Covington and T.J. McConnell, who only got chances to play because. The Sixers were so committed to tanking, they wouldn't sign veterans for those roles. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know what was, you know, what what the history of the process will be. I'm sure we'll be writing about it for years to come, um, especially since Joel has nicknamed himself the process. <laughs> right? But um, and I think the Sixers are going to be, I think they're going to be good. I think they're going to be in the conversation um, of like the next great team
1: for a while. But,
0: yeah, for a while, but the question—I have no idea how it's going to go when they get to the playoffs,
1: and I don't think they do either. And it just—and the big question above it all is: there's one thing about chemistry. Maybe you get the right coach, the right players, the right leadership to bring it in, but you know, you can't teach height, and you can't prevent health. You know, so that's right. And then you have—it's, I mean, with Markel and Ben, and even going back to nerland's Noel and Joel, it just seems like there is that little black rain cloud hovering over like the dais, wherever the Sixers introduce rookies.
0: I mean, you know, that's, that's right. I I, I I think in the piece, it's like the giant blinking asterisk, right. In every conversation it's like, and yet you can't live in fear. You can't walk around like that. And Joel, if anything goes the opposite way, he runs through that wall, you know, he's like, I'm not going to walk around like I'm made of glass. Mm -hmm. Um, because you can't, it's just you can't be the guy you want to be. You can't, you can't develop. You can't play. Like I mean, you know. And he had a he had a funny comment to me the other day. I said, you, really, you know, you know, every time you're on the ground, six every Sixers fan is freaking out. Like, oh my god, is he okay? He's okay. Right. And and he's like, and and you know, he actually, if you're around him enough and you watch him, he actually falls a lot. Like I think he falls the most of any player I've seen in a while. And he said, oh yeah, that's by design. And I go, really? He goes, yeah. I kind of I kind of think that when you fall, your whole body takes the pressure rather than, you know, one, one joint. So like, if yeah, you're okay. falling, it might be an awkward fall on your ankle, your knee. Um, it, all the pressure is going to go to that place and that's when you cause injuries. But if you fall and it's your whole body falling, then, you know, it's all, it's all of, all of me taking that, that force. I was like, that's kind of smart. Uh, yeah. Okay. I bet you I Gordon, go Hay-
1: Gordon Haywood's probably like preach bro.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, so anyway, you watch him and it's like, you know, you're every single time, literally, and and I, I I experience this because I'm this is I'm gonna knock on. What did I say it right? I mean. You know, as somebody writing a story and you're profiling somebody who has this, you know, injury history, you're like, oh man, I hope he doesn't get hurt, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I've spent all this time and do all this great story, and then it could happen at any moment. I mean, you feel it, and and it's like I, I kind of experience it just watching the game. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not I'm a Sixers fan. I don't know what that's like day in and day out, but I can I can imagine it based on how I felt. In the process of, of reporting this, and it's like it's it, it's it, you know the, the, you you kind of walk around holding your breath. <laughs> and if you're the Sixers, and That's why they gave him that contract with all the guarantees, and all the you know the, the 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 conditional things built into it, you know, in case something happens. And um, but you, you ha- look, man, you can't live your life in fear, and that's that's just kind of the whole feeling when you're around this team. It's like, God, I see what this can be, but <sighs> if they can stay healthy. <laughs>
1: Ramona, I uh, I want to thank you for your time, and I promise I will continue to troll you over email.
0: Oh, please do. Please yeah,
1: do. my my go-to, I think I'm still going to be is uh, yikes spinach today. After I see <laughs> you on live television, knowing that you have cannot check that.
0: <laughs> yeah, troll troll me anytime. It's, it's the I, it's how I know you care.
1: It's actually <laughs> the only way I know how to show how I care. So I'm glad you appreciate that. <laughs> Well, thanks again, and uh, hopefully we'll be seeing um, much more of Joel Embiid for years to come. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to Double Track Stories Podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Track Stories Podcasts.